We'll go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 1 this morning. But I ever told you the story of my mother, the prophet? I told you that story. Well, uh, when my parents were dropping me off for college, it was a Christian college because that's where all good boys go. And that's what I did. Uh, but uh, when my parents were dropping me off, uh, they were leaving. And so they were abandoning the greatest gift God ever gave them. And, uh, and so they were, they were just very, very sad because they wouldn't wake up to my beautiful face every morning. You'd be lucky to have a son like me. But uh, um, as they were about to get in uh, the truck and leave, uh, my mother looks at me and she told me, she said, you know what you need to do? And I said, what? probably said it in a sarcastic way, as is my way. And, uh, and she said, you need to get you some preaching tapes. Now, I don't know if you know what a tape is, but back in the 80s and 90s, there were these cassettes that you would listen to audio on. And my mother told me, she said, you need to get you some preaching tapes. Now, now at this point, it makes sense. But I will tell you, at that point, such a statement to me made absolutely no sense. I uh, was not at a place where I was looking for necessarily what God wanted me to do with my life. I was just looking for what I wanted me to do with my life. And I wanted to have the most fun doing it, as most 18-year-olds do. But in her prophetic wisdom, she said, you need to get you some preaching tapes. Now, I tell you that story because years and years later, I live my life making preaching tapes for my mother to listen to. And so just that's my way of saying happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. You have no idea the words that you speak over your children, what the result of that might be. Uh, but all these years later, my mother was praying for me then. She's still praying for me now. And I'm thankful. I might tell you a story about my wife if you come to the 1130. No? Okay. That's my gift to her. Happy Mother's Day to you. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been going through the first two chapters of the book of Joshua. Israel's on the precipice of the promised land. God had brought them out of Egypt through his redemptive hand, had led them through Moses to this point once before. The generation previous had been on the banks of the Jordan, had been on the precipice of the land. They were about to cross over into it, but they did not have the faith to trust God to give it to them. And so, of course, we know the discipline of the Lord fell on that entire generation. They were led through what's called the wandering years in the wilderness. Wilderness and Israel wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. An entire generation passed away. And now the next generation, the daughters and the sons of that generation, are poised to enter the promised land to take hold of the promises of God to Israel. But the question is, were they going to have the faith that they needed to go in and take hold of the promises that God was making to Israel? Because you have to take the life that God has designed for you to live. We've seen over the past several weeks that God blesses faith. True faith actually changes you into a person of action, a person that sees the promises of God, a person that hears the commands of God, and a person that orders his or her life around those promises, around those commands. Because when you trust God, you form a life around that trust to push you into acting on what God has actually revealed and what God has called you into. Both Joshua 3 and 4 cover Israel crossing over the Jordan River, which served as a geographical marker of the promised land. 
Because once they promised over the river, they would begin to take hold of the land. So crossing the river would actually be an act of faith that demanded that they trust God enough to believe not only that they could cross over the Jordan, but that they actually could take the land that God had promised on the other side. Because friends, understand that once they crossed the river, that was no small act. Rather, that was an act of faith because that was going to be seen by any country that laid on the other side of that water as an act of aggression, as it was an entire nation crossing over into their land, crossing the border of those nations that already inhabited it. But it was through obeying God that they were going to see the trustworthiness of God to deliver on every single promise that he had made. And I hope to tell you this morning that the same God that delivered the promised land to the nation of Israel is the same God that gave you the gospel of Jesus Christ for you to define and for you to live your very life around. I want to begin reading in verse 1. Said so then Joshua rose early in the morning, as all good men do. And they set out. Let the, let the hearer understand, some of you. I guess I need to pause. Some of you young and sleep in. All right, cut that out. You want the promise of God? Get up. And they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went around the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves. Now, I want, this is a very important part of the passage, so don't forget this. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I want you to understand, number one this morning, obedience to God is never wasted. Obedience to God is never wasted. Because obedience is ultimately about trust. You willfully and joyfully follow the lead of those that you deem trustworthy. I mean, that should be common sense for you. I mean, as a parent, that is something that you learn very quickly. I bribe my children. I bribe them frequently. It's perfectly legal, don't worry, but I frequently bribe my children. If you don't bribe your children, then you're a fool. I believe that. You're an absolute fool because children are called to put their trust in their parents. But here's what I want you to understand. I want my children to understand that life in obedience to me is better than life in disobedience to me. And so I ensure, or seek to ensure rather, that I'm cultivating the type of household, I'm cultivating the type of life in my household, the type of atmosphere in my household, that they truly have tangible ways they can look at what I have to offer, at what I have to give into their lives, at the joyful atmosphere, the happy atmosphere, the gifts of all of the things that I give into their lives, that they look to me and they say, life following you is better than anything anyone else Else has to offer me. And some of the reason that some of you struggle with your children is because you do nothing to ensure that they believe life following you is better than life not following you. The nation of Israel had to trust that their joyful obedience, their willful obedience to God was going to give them a better life than disobedience to God 
was going to give them. But here's the deal. God worked through history to show them, yes, if you follow me, yes, if you trust me, yes, if you obey me, then you are going to have the blessings of God's hand into your life for all of your life. The fact of the matter is is that some of you aren't cultivating an atmosphere where you make yourself into a joy-filled, trustworthy person for your children. And here's the problem with that is, is that that is why so many young people grow up giving their love, giving their affection, giving their trust over to people that don't deserve it and shouldn't have it. Because they don't know what it is to have joy in faith, joy in trust, joy in their obedience. And that's my responsibility as a father is to form that type of household for my children. They don't have to do it. I have to do it. And of course, this is the calling of God on the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. You know, it is not a Christian thing to say that I do the right thing because it's the right thing. That's an atheistic reality. Morality doesn't terminate on itself. We obey Jesus because of the reward that Jesus has to offer us. We obey God because of the reward that falls on the other side of obedience to him. We obey God because we believe that there is joy set before us in our obedience. And I know that all of you, even if subconsciously you believe this, because I haven't met a single Christian who told me they didn't want to go to heaven. What do you think heaven's going to be? My understanding of it's going to be pretty nice. My understanding is going to be quite a reward. And so we follow Jesus. We obey God. We apply the precepts of Scripture to our lives because of the reward of God that lays on the other side of our obedience. And that is exactly what God wants us to have. Not a begrudging faithfulness to Him. Rather, God wants us to trust Him to the extent that we know that what He will give into our lives is better than what anyone else is going to give into our lives. That's the point of Joshua 1 all the way over to Joshua 3 is God telling them, if you will follow me, I will bless you. Then in verse 1, we see moving day has arrived. This is the day they've been preparing for, and now is when they will move. To understand what's happening here, it's vital that you understand verse 3. We see starting in verse 3, a series of commands that you need to follow the Ark of the Covenant. Don't get too close to the Ark of the Covenant. Don't get too far, far behind the Ark of the Covenant. Don't get in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Because if you watch the Ark, you're going to be able to see everywhere that God is leading you. And then it gets to verse 5 where he says, Consecrate yourselves. To consecrate means you set it apart. To consecrate yourself literally means I am setting myself apart for the purposes of God that he is going to do in my life. But then look at the promise behind the command. He says, consecrate yourself because tomorrow God is going to do wonders for you. Note the order, the obedience comes before the wonder. God says, obey me, and you are going to see wonders. Friend, life boils down to the commands that you either obey or you disobey. It's difficult, but it's not complicated. Your life will be determined by your level of obedience to God. 
Understand that the moment of faith in Jesus Christ, even that very first faith that you have, is an act ultimately of obedience. He tells you, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That is an imperative. That is a command. So even the very first moment of faith is an obedient moment to the call of God in your life. That's why even if subconsciously so many Christians struggle with an ancient heresy, even if you don't know the name of the heresy, many of you are plagued by it. It's called antinomianism. Anti, against, nomos, the word of God, or that's translated against the law of God. That your life is spent not following the law of God. And it happens in Christianity because so many believe that since Jesus died for my sin, since he has given me a new forgiven life, then there is no obedience expected of me in this life. Friends, that's foolish. Nothing in the scripture would lead you to such a notion because that would ultimately mean that obedience is a waste of time. That is a lie. And ultimately, it is a lie about God. Because God's law is not arbitrary. The commands that God give us are purposeful. They're not arbitrary in any way. God is not a cosmic hall monitor in heaven with a clipboard, with a bunch of arbitrary rules written down where he looks at your life and he says, oh, you followed this one. Oh, didn't follow that one. No, God's law is purpose-filled. God's law is for our joy. Obedience to God is always a gateway into the life that God has designed for you to have. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but God knows more about you than you know about you. You cannot be trusted to define your design. Only God can be trusted to define our design. We see that, of course, in the chaos of the world that's happening around us where so many are throwing off the design of God and seeking a redefinition. And we see what the culmination of that is forming in our society. Absolute chaos, absolute pain, joylessness, and disability for the rest of your days when you throw off the design of God. It's like if a parent... You do not sit while your child takes a metal fork running towards an outlet telling yourself, well, I've got to let them find their own way. Well, we'll just see how this works out. I've got to let them learn the lesson. Friend, if you do that, you might not love your children. Friend, no, you slap the hand, you take the fork, you stop them from electrocuting themselves. Why? Because you love your child. Because your command, do not stick a fork in an outlet, is not arbitrary. Because you know what the result is going to be, even if they don't know what the result is going to be. The same as for the law of God. God didn't arbitrarily make commands, do this, don't do that. Rather, God gave commands because he knows what he designed us for. And he knows that life in obedience to him is better than life in disobedience to him. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God spoke through Moses to tell the nation of Israel that they should obey him because obedience brings blessing. He says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
Hebrew language there when he says that it's going to overtake you. It's a word picture that is like a wave overtaking a person in an ocean. It is a deluge of blessings. And I know some of you brainiacs out there, you may retort, but that's the Old Testament. Well, friend, in John 14, 21, Jesus states that if you love him, it will cultivate a life of obedience to him. But note what he says on the back end. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. Can you imagine a greater blessing than that? And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Through what? Obedience. Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus states that God's blessings come to people who hear the word of God and what? Keep it. Keep it literally means obey. You see, friends, this obedience is purpose-filled. This obedience is necessary because faith in Jesus Christ transforms the Christian into a person who wants to reorient life around God's commands because you trust that life with Him is greater than life apart from Him. Life obeying God, friends, is more blessed than life disobeying God. And that just makes sense. It's simply a biblical truth. It's so simple because that's how God designed us. God in this passage was going to bless Israel through their obedience to walk. Through their obedience to take. And here's the beauty of this passage. That first step into the Jordan. Friends, John Calvin once wrote, we cannot rely on God's promises without obeying His commands. You need to understand that's why disobedience is always a waste. Disobedience is the fastest route to wasting your life that I could ever imagine. And we love to pacify people in their sin. We love to give people therapy about their sin. And we do that to the detriment of their very lives. We love to make people feel better about the sin that they are struggling with so that they won't feel bad about themselves while they're sitting in that which is going to condemn them into hell for all eternity. And we must stop doing that. Sin is a waste of time. Sin is a waste of your life. Every moment that you spend in disobedience to the word of God is a moment where you are willfully choosing, I will waste my life. And we have to stop pretending it's anything else. The temptation to sin always brings with it a lie that you will experience more blessing apart from God than you will experience in obedience to God. And that, of course, is the lie of hell. And I know that in the hundreds that will be gathered here today, it is the lie that many of you believe and many of you are pursuing. I mean, think about it. Many of you have fantasies and dreams of a life in disobedience to God. It inhabits even the fantasies that you have because you believe that it will lead to more pleasure than life and obedience to God will lead you to. Friends, that is simply unbelief. 
Disobedience to God is the opposite of faith. It will lead you down nothing but a road to destruction. And if disobedience will lead you down a road to destruction, how could you look at it as anything other than a waste of life? A waste of your very being, a waste of the very purpose for which God created you. Because faith is about love for God that trusts Him to the extent that you say, Yes, I want to obey you. Yes, I want to turn away from sin because your hand has blessing through obedience. Friends, love for God doesn't just do the right thing because it's the right thing, because unbelievers can cultivate that level of commitment. That's not faith. Christians must understand that our faith is built around the reward of God, because if you trust in Jesus Christ, we believe that it is better than that which would lead us away from Christ. That is a reward of faith. He determines, though, the reward through His promises in Scripture. And you take hold of those promises through joy-filled obedience and submission to His design for life. But number two this morning, understand that God will give reminders of His trustworthiness. And that's one of my favorite things about God. He doesn't just say, do this and the outcome's going to be great and then step away. And say, you just got to trust me based on what I said. That's terrible leadership and God's a great leader. God not only makes the commands, but God cultivates atmospheres in the world where we can actually point to what He has done in real time and say, yeah, I know following God is better because of what He did here, because of what He did there. And you saw that last week through Rahab's statement. But note what happens starting in verse 6. He says, And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before these people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua today, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, and they will know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, some other sites I wasn't even thinking of. Verse 11, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel and from the tribe of each man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all the banks throughout the time of harvest. I want to pause there. There's been a debate over the condition of the Jordan River at this point. Some people have foolishly said 
that obviously someone had built a dam somewhere so that the water wasn't flowing down at that time. Nothing in history would lead us to understand that. Of course, obviously nothing in this text would lead us to understand it that way. Verse 15 is important for the context here. At this time of year, the Jordan would often flood over the typical bank. And that's why it's important that it says harvest. Because of course the Jordan River is still there. We still measure these things. And during the harvest time, the Jordan River still overflows its banks and moves extremely quickly from the mountains down even below sea level into what is called the Dead Sea. Now, it flows into the Dead Sea, and during the harvest time, the flow is so powerful that it creates a current that would be extremely difficult for anyone to swim across, much less walk across, and not be overcome by the waters in the Jordan River. Yet, God tells the nation to cross it. But note what is important for the trustworthiness of God here. God says, I'll go first. The Ark of the Covenant served at that point as a symbol to all of Israel of the presence of God. If you don't know about the wandering years of Israel when they were wandering through the wilderness, God went before them in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then when they would set up the tabernacle, the very presence of God would rest over the Holy of Holies and it's a tangible reality for them. And so following after the presence of God is something that he had cultivated in the nation for this very purpose. Now he's telling them through Joshua, who's prophesying here, that I am going to be in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant and the priests will carry. That's why at the beginning of the chapter he said 2,000 cubits behind. He said don't get in front of it because God wanted to go before them. Friends, when God calls you to obedience, He always commands in light of His presence going before you. But note also, there's a second thing here where He called the leaders of Israel to serve as ambassadors for God over Israel. He tells Joshua, get 12 leaders, one leader from each tribe. And those 12 leaders go behind the Ark of the Covenant and in front of the people. This is why leadership is a high calling. Any move of faith puts a primary call and responsibility on leaders to exhibit their own faithfulness for the sake of the people that are coming behind them. The problem that many of you have is from pastor to parent to friend you don't realize the impact that your faithfulness has on those who are following you. Everyone has someone watching them. And understand the very moments of faith that you think are a waste, you think that no one is paying attention to, that very step of faith that you take could serve as an inspiration for someone else or many other people to take primary steps of faith in their life as well. That's why your obedience is always going to be used by God. Don't be surprised that when those whom you are responsible for in this world don't answer the call when they haven't seen you answer the call of God. Friends, when God moves, we must move with Him for the sake of even the next generation. Because God is gracious to move for our trust. And then he says to the nation, look at the ark. Now we don't have the ark of the covenant today. According to the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's in a government facility somewhere. 
Now, I don't know if that's true, but I can't say it's untrue, okay? So we don't know if Indy knew what he was talking about. Now, that is a spoiler, but you've had like 40 years to see that movie. So I don't feel that bad at this point if you haven't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. But friends, we have something better to look to. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 2, notes that we look to Jesus because he founded and perfected our faith through the cross. It says in verse 3, consider him who endured even the hostility of sinners in the world, in the culture. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. When we are tempted to disobedience, the author of Hebrews says, keep your eyes on Jesus and never look elsewhere. Why? So that you can stay faithful. Friends, always keep your eyes on the gospel because we look to the gospel for salvation. But not only salvation, we look to the gospel also for inspiration. In Latin, it's called Christus Victor, Christ the victorious one over sin. That is our salvation. But he is also Christus Exemplar, Christ the example, who through his example shows us what it is to endure in this world in faith. And he echoed that promise from Joshua 1 in the Great Commission by saying he is going to be with us every step of the way. 2 Corinthians 3.3 notes the effectiveness of the work of Jesus in our lives. Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, says, You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Friend, we don't look to the Ark of the Covenant because the very presence of God is in our lives now. The Holy Spirit writes, and I love the word picture here, writes the law of God on our very hearts so that we will be able to follow God with great success in our lives as we trust in Jesus Christ. We don't simply look to an external word. We look to the inner testimony of the very Spirit of God in our lives. Therefore, Christian, you must understand that the way that you walk through this life serves as a testimony of how you are saying God is working in and through your life. As Israel was called to cross the Jordan, so you are called to follow Jesus Christ into all things to the great reward of God working through your everyday life, blessing your life, and giving you joy so that you can endure through this life with the promise of God's kingdom of heaven after this life. Friends, understand every moment of obedience is used by God to deliver His promises. Never a waste. Never a waste. Thirdly, this morning, understand God is always faithful to deliver His promises. Have you noticed that's a theme of this series? God is always faithful to deliver His promises. One of the harder truths of life, and I think it is a hard truth, is the greater the obstacle, the greater the victory. The greater the obstacle, the greater the victory. Let me say that one more time. The greater the obstacle, the greater the victory. And I believe that's why some of you struggle to trust in God. Because you only trust Him enough to cross over the tiny obstacles. You only trust Him enough when it's a speed bump. 
You only trust him enough that when you can see what's on the other side of the obstacle, you will follow him. But do you trust him enough that when all you can see is an impenetrable wall in front of you, do you trust him enough to follow him there? Do you trust him enough to follow him over? Or sometimes, do you trust him enough to follow him through? Because I'll tell you, I try to kick down a lot of doors through faith in Jesus Christ when I'm not always sure if God's going to make it open for me. But how will I ever know if I don't wiggle the handle? The problem that some of you have with some of the struggles that you have in your life, some of the sin that you are struggling with, some of the barriers that are really right in front of you, and I'm not trying to minimize them. I know that they are huge barriers in your life, and you're struggling hard. You do not possess the faith because you are so scared that the door is locked that you won't take that first step of faith just to try to turn the knob a little bit to see if maybe God unlocked it for you. But I want more faith than that. Sometimes even when it's knocked, I give it a kick. And then I give it another one. Because I want to see what God can do if I will trust Him. Because I know that when the obstacle is great, the reward on the other side is going to be even greater. And that's what's so beautiful about the end of this passage. In verse 15, he says, And I would hate to have been the first priest. You know that they drew, they drew straws. <laughs> Because somebody had to be the first body that stepped into the water. And I know these guys are just humans. Maybe they had greater faith than me. And maybe I wouldn't have been a Levitical priest. But if I was, and I'm holding that handle, the Ark of the Covenant, I'm looking around me and I'm like, all right, I'm taking a step. All right, my foot's getting a little wet. Boy, if he doesn't part that water, we're sunk. <laughs> and so you think that way. But that's what God required. But verse 16, it says, when the priest's feet hit the water, not before. Verses 14 and 15 are clear. It had to hit water that was a flowing rapid that was in um, the Jordan River at that point would have been a minimum of 100 feet wide right across from Jericho. But some people say that sometimes the flooding would get so great it was a mile wide and it was at minimum 12 feet deep. And so we know at the time of harvest at Jericho, this was going to require faith. But it says in verse 16, the waters coming down from above, from up on the mountain, stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. One of the amazing things here is it says those priests walked out and their feet got dry real quick. I'd love to have been one of those guys at that point. Not the point before that, but at that point. As soon as you know it's going to work out, you tend to feel better, all right? 
It says those priests walked into the middle of the Jordan River and they stood there and the people of Israel to get to the other side. Not only did they have to follow the presence of God, they had to walk through the presence of God. Consecrate yourselves sounds silly until you know you got to walk through the presence of God to get to the other side. God blessed every moment of faith, but God demanded full obedience before He gave the miracle. Friends, when you consecrate yourself through obedience, you will be amazed at the hand of God moving in your life. Because God is not necessarily going to tell you how He is going to move because He wants you to respond in faith. He just wants you to trust that He's got it. He wants you to trust Him to the extent that if He says He's going to move, you will move yourself as though He already has. Because you trust Him that much. But when you advance with the movement of God, just like Joshua says, verse 5, He will do wonders among you. Friend, I believe God is still doing this today. I don't think He's stopped moving. I don't think He has stopped working at all. This is the way that God moves throughout all of history. He uses steps of faith in order to secure the future of His people. Then He moves in real time to make His will happen to the good of His people. I believe that. The problem with life is not that God doesn't deliver on His promises today. The problem is that many refuse to consecrate themselves for the purpose of obeying God. Are you cultivating a life in which you obey God? When you don't, you never experience the move of God. Because frankly... your life doesn't necessitate a move from God. Friend, if you want to experience the move of God, you have to start by moving with God. Because if you want the good, you've got to follow God. It is that way. It's always been that way. Romans 8.28 echoes this reality. Text says many of you probably know it. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. I want to pause right there. Because maybe you've misquoted this verse. Many people have. Note that the text doesn't say all things work together for good. I can tell you right now, for some people, all things work together for bad. The opposite of what Scripture says is also true for some people. So if you aren't a person that loves God, if you aren't a person who's called according to his purpose, understand that you have no promise that anything you ever do is going to work out for good. There are two qualifiers here. First, love. You can define that as trust. You really can. Because I don't love somebody I don't trust. Real affection, real love, real desire. You have to have it. But then secondly, those who are called according to what? His purpose. Do you not understand that that's obedience? I'm not called to any purpose that isn't God's. Therefore, to be called according to His purpose is to align your life with His calling, His commands. But He says... If you love me, if you are called by me, for me. Something I say all the time. It's all good. 
And it will be. Every step that I take in life when I walk in faith and obedience to the Word of God, every affection of my heart that I have for the Jesus Christ who loved me enough to die for me, I know it's all going to be good. Every step of it. Now understand, God has this crazy way of not telling me how He's going to do it. So sometimes in order to deliver the good, He takes me through some pretty low valleys. Sometimes the greatest outcome of my life comes through the hardest trial. And you're no different. The greatest outcome will sometimes come through the greatest trial. But do you love Him? Are you called by Him? Are you living for His purpose? Friend, whatever it is that is happening in your life right now that you cry out to God every night saying, I don't want it to work out this way. I don't want it to feel this way. I didn't sign up for this. That's the way I pray. God, I didn't sign up for this. But when I understand that it's all going to work out for the good that God has defined for me, I say, you've got my life, God. I'll obey you. Then verse 29 tells us what the good looks like. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And some of you get so hung up on those two words that you don't get to the good part. To be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good stuff. Therefore, I know that every single day that I get up, every single day that I walk in my calling, every single day I give him my heart through my obedience, I am becoming more and more like our great God and King Jesus Christ. What a glorious life. But friend, I'll tell you, if you want the good, if you want the glory, you've got to take steps of faith to get there. A few application points. First, build trust in God through obedience to God. That's how it works. I learn to trust Him more in every step of obedience. Don't be so rebellious that you say, I've got to trust Him before I'll obey Him. That's arrogance. Secondly, refuse to waste your life in disobedience. I refuse. I refuse to accept the ordinary in my life. I will only live for that which is supernatural. And that is what comes from the hand of God. That is the glory of the good that He is working. And that only comes through obedience. Thirdly, know that God is before you through every step of faith. What a blessing. There are going, I'm not going to lie to you, there are going to be times in your life where it's pretty foggy. Where it seems like it's getting dim. Where you say, I don't know if I can see what he's doing. And those are the times when you need to consecrate yourself the most because the fog will lift and you will see the good and you will experience the glory. But you got to know that he's before you even when you're struggling to feel it. Fourthly, remember the gospel as you move with God to live in his promises. You never get past the gospel. You never get over the gospel. 
You never get through the gospel. You're only ever going to get there by the gospel. Keep your eyes on Jesus, friends. Because to look anywhere else is less. God is good.